most golfers go out, they practice chocolate, and then when they get you know, to the tournament, oh my God, it's Rocky Road. Ooh, you know, there's a lot of chunks in that ice cream, okay? And welcome back. Welcome aboard another Park Train. I am Evan Singer. We've got Matt Cermak here. What's up, Ev? Good to be back. Train is humming. We aren't right slowing down anytime soon. This train, you guys are in for a freaking treat with Dr. Bob Winters. Not a normal Dr. Bob Winters episode. This is a mailbag right point. with one of the top sports psychologists in the world answering five of your questions. But before we get to that, if your golf game's off the rails, if you're sick of riding the struggle bus, you've come to the right place. The part train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can do it through anything the part train podcast unpacks the mental game with pj torpros best-selling authors ceo sports psychologists like today with dr bob winters and more everyday golfers like you and me to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track this episode is presented by roback activewear all you got to do is go to roback.com enter the code train get yourself 15 percent off the greatest hoodies polos q-zips now vests new vests joggers shorts anything you could want for on and off the golf course, Serm wears it to work, is at Roback.com. So I mean, I'm wearing it every day. He's literally wearing it as we speak. We both wear Roback well. every day. Yeah. It, In you some can't capacity. Beat it. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's, you can't beat it because there's there's not an excuse not to get it if you can wear it in every situation in life. Real quick, this morning I'm playing squash. I goes, <laughs> hey, is that Roback? I go, no, it's Roback. He goes, I've been seeing that everywhere. He was admiring the long sleeve tee, which is my go-to. That's what I'm wearing right now. Working out. I know you don't do a lot of cardio, but guys, <laughs> long sleeve tee is incredible. It's the only one I go up and I go up in a size. I would say Me about too. the long sleeve tee. Yeah. It's fantastic though. Yeah, that's fair. So we'll go to roback.com, enter the code train, get 15% off. Or if you forget the code, a lot of people do, go to our oh. Instagram at the part train, tap that link in the bio. You'll see a get 15% off rowback. Tap that little box. It'll auto apply in your cart. So no need to remember a code if you forget it. And if it doesn't work, enter a new email, do whatever you got to do. Okay. Dr. Bob Winters is one of the most popular guests. This is his third time we've ever had on the show. Yeah. Um, if you go back and listen and search in our catalog, Dr. Bob Winters, he will pop up and it's a great, we did a recap episode with him when you couldn't make it. He guest hosted with us to talk about Scotty Scheffler, how to think like Scotty Scheffler, one of my all-time favorite episodes. We also had him the week after we had Dr. Bob Rotella, one of his old colleagues. They worked together at Virginia. So Dr. Bob is one of the best in the world at what he does. And this episode is so special because it's not every day that a top tour level sports psychologist answers your question directly. And we don't skimp out either. We go deep on every single person's question. We have five oh. questions from you guys. And if you want to get featured on this in the future, just DM us at the par train. What I usually do in prep for these episodes is I will DM some of our most loyal followers and listeners. And I'll say, hey, you've been sending in that question. You can get it answered if you want. So send us a voice note at thepartrain at gmail.com and we will save those. And the more we get, the more mailbag episodes we do. Um, we're just so busy with yeah. interviews. We usually don't do them, you know, once every couple months. So keep that in mind if you want to be featured on a, on a future episode. But this episode, I don't want to go on too long because it's so good, but it's just such a treat to have someone at his caliber provide such actionable, simple advice. Yeah. The, I mean, the mailbags are so much fun. And obviously this is an exceptional episode to have him alongside us. He's an all-time pro at this, right? I mean, he doesn't mince words. He doesn't stumble. He's got all the analogies. He's got a lot, you know, we talk a lot about short game for one yeah. of the one of the callers that called in. He talks about things you can do right now and then how to think too, right? Yep. Um, he's kind of a blend of mindfulness and mindlessness, which mm -hmm. we talk about a lot as well. An absolute treat for me to meet him for the first time and you know, just blown away by how he can just really answer a question too. Yeah, it's just a lot of fun. Thank you to Dr. Bob, as always, Winters on Instagram, theconfidencedoctor.com, if you want to find them. So if this episode adds any value, do us a solid, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It means a lot. It helps other people want to jump aboard. Yeah, give us a follow at The Part Train on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. 
to get little mental nuggets and keep your game fresh every day throughout the week till you play. We post stuff there every single day that is not on the show. And uh, no matter how you're hitting it or how you're feeling, what are they going to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Hey, guys, just enjoy the ride. Take care. Thanks, guys. And for the third time, not many three-time guests. You're in a short list. I'd love to welcome Dr. Bob Winters aboard the train. Welcome back, Doc. Evan, and tell you what, the third time's a charm. Let's make sure we get this one right, okay? No, it's great to be with you and Matt. And this is the first time I'm I'm with Matt. So this yeah. is awesome. So it's good to good to be joining yeah. the party. How have you guys been? You know, since the last time you know we we've spoken. You know, been busy, been playing golf. Yeah, we've been playing golf. I got my honeymoon coming up. I'm going to Terra Edie and TRI. I'm gonna play some world class golf with my my wife, I got married a couple months ago. So yeah, that's right. You know, congratulations. That Thank is you. fantastic. That's Thank good. You. you know, so it's good that, you know, I saw a lot of the pictures on Instagram, you know, that you guys, you know, had kind of a really nice golf wedding, you know. So yeah. that's that's a nice way to actually get started in a marriage because most marriages don't end that way or don't start <laughs> that way. Okay. Yeah. It might end that way. <laughs> Dr. Bob, yeah. I was lucky enough to stand next to Evan and Tara at the wedding. It was an honor. But I've never been to a cocktail hour where you could hit pitch shots. You, you, you could. We had a par three out there, and it was pretty special. I want you to know. So Matt I, took. I saw that. Yeah. Matt took a video of my dad, where my dad was almost late for the wedding dinner, because he <laughs> yeah. was practicing his his forty yard pitch shot. So that's the family I come from, Doc. Priorities. Well, that's yeah. Priorities, man. Absolutely. <laughs> we would say that's just good management. Well, that's that's good. Well, awesome. So it, it's good to be here. So I know we've got a big venue. So let's get to it. Let's do it. So as I told you off air, this is the first time we've ever had a top sports psychologist on the train to go through a mailbag, which is five golfers, our listeners, loyal listeners sent in a question of voicemail. I'm going to play each one. I'm going to kick it to you, Doc. You're going to give your take, and then Matt or I might chime in. But I'm really excited to get the listeners, this uh, the confidence doctor himself, on to answer the question. So why don't we just dive in? Okay. You know, we're going to make a house call here. Let's do it. So we're going to start with okay. Connor. Hey, guys. My name is Connor, and I've been on the train for the past year or so, and I love what you all are doing. I've been going back, listening to old episodes. I'm a huge fan. So for context, I have played golf with my dad ever since I was a kid, but I started taking it more seriously the past two years or so, and I'm a humble 17 handicap right now, but my game is all over the place. This past year, I've shot as low as an 84 and as high as a 109, so I know that I have that good game in me, but even when I do find it for 14 or 15 holes, I almost always hand it away with some really ugly shots and big numbers in the last few holes. I've been working on my swing and my mechanics, but I'm not there yet, so I still deal with that dreaded two-way miss that Evan's talked about in the past. So, the reason I'm calling in is because this inconsistency makes me incredibly nervous and anxious on the course, sometimes even anticipation of a round. Playing with some friends who are a lot better than me at one of their clubs this weekend, and I'm already stressed out about the round because I don't know which game is going to show up. It's not external pressure, it's a casual round with some friends, but the internal pressure and anxiety is really getting to me. So what I'm looking to learn from the confidence doctor, Dr. Bob Winters, is how do you stay confident and relaxed with a wildly inconsistent golf game? I think a lot of people want to know this, Doc. So okay. I'll kick well, it to you. That's a great question for Connor. So, you know, I love it that he's been playing golf for a long time. Obviously, he has a great passion for the game. He says he's all over the place. and But the one thing he does say, and he does mention, he says that, he gets himself into a groove. He plays really well for 14, 15 holes. Then he actually probably gets ahead of himself. And a lot of times people have sort of this irrational exuberance <laughs> that we have is that we're going along and playing so well. We're doing things, you know, so handily and so easily that we start to become aware of our self-awareness. And people say, hey, keep it going. And you ask yourself the question, wow, you know, can I keep it going? You start looking at the scorecard and then you start projecting and then you start thinking, okay, if I just make a couple more pars here, I'll play my personal best. And, and the point I've always said is that the most important number in golf is one. It's the shot, you know, you're facing. So 
he talks about consistency, but the most important thing we want to have is a consistent foundation, a consistent mindset, you know, a consistent way to approach each shot as its own single little moment in the universe. That's really what playing golf, you know, one shot at a time is all about. So the one thing I would tell Connor is, you know, don't give up your zeal or your passion for the game. Just don't really put any expectations. Put away your expectations of score and results. Put those on the shelf and focus more on, you know, what can I do now? Can I control this narrative? We call it in my world, controlling the controllables. What's important now? That's a great acronym for the word win that comes from the great you know, football coach, Lou Holtz. What's important now? So what I would tell Connor is, you know, continue to play each shot as it comes and put it behind you. And then at the end of the day, you can sit back and then reflect and say, did I give a great effort on each and every shot? Because as I've said before, and you have always you know, mentioned it here on the par train, which I'm very thankful, is that the whole secret to playing great golf isn't saying, you know, how many strokes did I shoot or, you know, what's the strokes that I'm taking? It isn't how many strokes we're taking. It's that we're making each stroke count, each one, one at a time with purposeful intent. So that would be the first thing, you know, I say to Connor, but that's really what, you know, comes out to me. He says he's all over the place. Well, okay, that's a distracted mindset. He's even getting himself, you know, worked up about the anticipation. Again, that's the expectation of the future. And that's really what, uh, you know, expectations are. They are a preset standard for what, you know, you want something in the future. This is what should be, could be, or might be. So we need to kind of put those expectations away and get into what's the one expectation that works. And, you know, the expectation is I'm into this moment. I'm into this shot. This is all I can control. And all I have to do is all I can do. And that's, you know, play the very best with this one shot. That's what I would tell Connor. I love that. And isn't it interesting, Doc, that if we went on the PGA Tour, and obviously as humans, we look at the outliers, right? Connor's looking at the 84 and the 109. An 84 for a 17 handicap is really damn good. A 109 is probably his off day, right? Really off day. Yeah. But if you think about it, I don't know the stats, but I would bet the average PJ Tour Pro, if you looked at a full season, I bet you had at least a 20 to 25 shot difference from their low score to their high score. I've seen many PJ Tour Pros shoot in the 80s and low 60s. Right, exactly. You know, it's just, you know, this variance. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe this. But it's funny how most high handicappers or mid handicappers look at that low round and they say, well, that's the way it should be. That should be the right. norm. Well, that's not really the norm at all. But, you know, the point, you know, I'm trying to make, and this is, you know, for all of our listeners, is that if you really want to get better at this game, you have to understand that, you know, the game that most people play is the game of score, results, outcome. But to really become a great player, a great golfer, it is to understand how to manage your mind, manage your ball, move it around the golf course as efficiently and effectively and as economically as you possibly can. And that doesn't mean you're playing perfect golf. It just means you're playing very manageable, very effective golf. And the sooner that you know people like Connor and people, you know, who have, you know, a problem with inconsistency, the sooner they can kind of get their minds sort of organized to say, okay, well, what's my goal today? It should be a process goal. It should be, I'm going to really adhere to my routine. I'm going to, you know, play within myself. But most of all, I'm going to give myself the permission to enjoy my talent today. And if they do that, wow, great things start to happen. Yeah, because it's almost like, you know, you, you, Connor's going to hit one great shot right? That he can hang his hat on and draw from. But I think what's interesting that I keep thinking about when I think of Connor's question is almost this anxiety around the mismanaged expectations that he's created. So to your point, the variance is creating the anxiety, but the variance is normal. We all have variance. So one thing we learned from Dr. Joe Parent actually recently, the author of Zen Golf, he says, if you're going to count strokes or count something, count commitments. 
because that's a process driven goal. So count your number of commitments each round, try and increase that, but your score will likely drop as your commitments go up. So that's an interesting tidbit too, I think might be helpful for Connor. Well, I think it's exactly. And I think, you know, I'm sort of echoing the same comments that Dr. Joe, you know, already put on your program. But the point of it is it's all about purpose and intention. And that's the whole notion about, you know, motivation. It is, you know, what is it that you're going to do? What is it you're going to do now with this shot? So if we understand that if you went into a shot and went into a, a round of golf and you said, what's my purpose here today? You know, and I talked about this with you know several of the world's best, even with some of the number ones in the world. Have you ever gone out there and just gave yourself permission to say, I'm going to play every shot as well as I possibly can. I mean, really get my mind, my emotions, my body, my spirit into every shot and do the very best I can today. And then just enjoy the hell out of it at the end of the day. Right. Not too many people do that. And I was just you know, at Corn Ferry Tour School just a couple of days ago in the first round. And I saw so many players. I mean, they've already got their Corn Ferry Tour cards. But you could see they were just gritting and grinding and just wearing out the gears, you know, the emotional mindset gears in their head. And I finally even told a couple of my players, I said, listen, you know, the only thing you have to do for tomorrow and this is as it goes into the weekend and into, you know, Monday, the final day, you've got to find a way to get yourself more loose, more relaxed, more comfortable, more confident, because everybody else is going to tighten up and everybody's already tightening their screws. And what happens, and we know when you try to tighten a screw too much, you strip the threads. And I think that's really what happens for a lot of us, whether you're a tour player or a high handicapper or just a recreational golfer. We actually try so hard and we actually strip those threads. So, you know, lighten up a little bit and actually get into your process. And uh, I think you'll find, you know, lower scores are happening and they're happening and they're coming to you rather than you going out and trying so hard. The confidence doctor always gives us great analogies and tightening those screws strip. I'm, I'm moving this week. This is really hitting home. Can't tighten your screws. You're going to strip the threads. I love that. Thank you, Connor, for sending that in. If you have a follow-up question, let us know. I hope that helps. Ready for Jason? Jason, bring it on. All right, Jason from St. Louis. Hey, this is Jason in St. Louis, and I have some questions about triggers for the best results. What's the best way to trigger a pattern interrupt when I'm seeing a round go south? And conversely, what's the best way to trigger the best positive visualization when I'm standing on a tee or over a shot? to achieve the best results? Is there a, a thought or a trigger that I could use in that situation? So I think what he's saying is when it's going the wrong way, what's a trigger thought pattern I can lean on? And also in a moment that means a lot, when I want that positivity, how do I do the same thing? I know that's tough to give a blanket answer, but we'll kick it to you, doc. Well, you know, we're going to give you some very specific mental triggers here. Their cognitive behavioral strategies, meaning they're mental, they're physical. But one thing, you know, that I do, and I'm even, you know, showing Matt and Evan, you know, my, my wrist, I've got a rubber band here. And this rubber band has been really one of my biggest teaching learning devices. It's very simple. And what happens, you know, when you find yourself sort of going south, you know, you're leaking oil, so to speak, we have to do something called thought stoppage and then centering. And thought stoppage means that you actually are aware of the situation. You're tired of it. And you finally just sit there and you hold up for a second. You stop and you say, stop. You take the rubber band, you snap it. And then you say, I'm going to dismiss this bad thought. Then you take in a nice deep breath and then you replace it. And then you ask yourself, okay, what is it that I want to do? What is it that I want to do right now? And so just by snapping that rubber band, you're really taking sort of what I call a mental timeout. Now, you can snap a rubber band or you can take your hat off and take this mental timeout. You know, much like we used to do when we were little kids, you know, we put our hands together and go timeout, timeout. OK, that meant we we're going to clear this mechanism, so to speak, and we're going to actually reframe. And this is where the recentering comes back. Centering means to focus your attention on what you want. So just those two little mental triggers, you know, taking your hat off or snapping a rubber band, it's allowing you to kind of get control of this runaway moment, 
Okay. Now those are two nice triggers, you know, to kind of have, you know, thought stoppage or what we call disaster interruption. Another way, you know, to get yourself going is when you are in your pre-shot routine from behind the ball. It's something I've had many of my players do, you know, for many years. I remember one of them was Rachel Hetherington, who went on to win, you know, millions of dollars on the LPGA Tour and was a fantastic champion. One of the things we would do when she actually knew that it was time to visualize and knew that she was ready to commit, she would take her right hand and she would tap her thigh. Now that, you know, tapping of the thigh was her signal like, okay, game on, we're creating a green light situation. Just, you know, something as simple as that, just that little tap. In the old days, you know, we would see things like Freddie Boom Boom Couples, you know, when he was younger, he would actually, you know, be sort of moving up his sleeves on his shirt, take a deep breath, and then he'd actually sort of just drop the club to the ground. He would kind of bang it on the ground. That was sort of a physical mental trigger to say, okay, I'm ready to step into the shot. I'm ready to commit. You can see them very subtly on every major tour winner, you know, both on the PGA, LPGA, European tour, Korean tour, wherever. They all have little subtle, you know, what we call trigger devices. And this is really for what you you need to know, Jason. So any of those type of things that you can do to actually say, okay, Jason, you know, the game is on. Those are, you know, the motivating triggers. So you have thought stoppage to interrupt, you know, the bad thoughts. And now you've got sort of what game on trigger device to get you moving forward. So those are just a couple of different ideas. Doc, I love it. When you talk about getting back to what I want to do, that's it, right? Because we are so, if we're over a tee shot and we have a left miss and there's trouble left, all we're thinking is what we don't want to do. That's all that seems to be happening, right? So getting to a place to say what I actually want to do. That's important. But would you say sometimes that means changing a club? How do you get back to a place of commitment, but also thinking clearly? I'm curious to get your thoughts there. Okay, man. That's a you know, great observation. Here's the point. I learned this from Dr. Daniel Wagner. He had come from Texas, now is at Harvard. He was the creator of the ironic thought process, that theory. It goes like this. You're standing over a shot. And there's water to the right, okay? And your last thought as you step into the ball is, my goodness gracious, just don't go right. And the last thing, you know, your brain and the sub-vocalization hears is right. And so what the ironic thought process does, it creates sort of this sub-mechanism that sort of throws a monkey wrench into your motor control schema. And what happens is what you didn't want to have happen by trying to suppress it, you actually created this furor, this hurricane of thoughts that says, we're going to the right because that's the last thing you said to yourself. So then the ball goes to the right and you go, daggone it. That's exactly what I didn't want to have happen. So that's really when you had that thought, when you step into the ball, you're already preparing yourself for a miss. You say, boy, just don't go there. So what we have to do is a couple of things, Matt. We've got to be able to change, you know, the vocalization, the verbiage. We never, ever say, don't do this. Don't go there. We acknowledge that there's trouble to the right. There's water to the right. We acknowledge that openly. That's sort of in our, you know, creating plan stage. And then when we're rehearsing, we're saying to ourselves, okay, what's the feel that I want? But when we're committing to the shot, we're committing to the target. We're committing to where we want to go. We are in a do this phase. So when we actually step back, reset, recenter, we acknowledge that, you know, we weren't in a very good place. And I've always said one of the worst mistakes in golf is to step in and know that you're not ready, know that you're going to actually make a mistake, but you go ahead and hit it anyway. And the anyway shot goes anywhere. So you should never, ever make a mental mistake because the golf ball is just sitting there waiting for you. So what we have to do is be able to get ourselves to that green light. Because when you step in with this yellow light, red light mentality, you're setting yourselves up for disaster. So we've got to get ourselves to a place. Now, that means maybe taking out more club or less club. But, you know, you have to reset, reframe and refocus. Because, you know, golf, you know, most people don't realize this. Golf is a series 
of seconds. I mean, a shot that, you know, someone just hit in your group, you know, maybe 25, 30 seconds before you, the situation may be changing for you. The wind shifts, the wind kicks up, or the wind, you know, is behind you. So it's a game of constant variables. So you have to make the very best decision you can at that particular point in time and not be afraid, you know, to back off, not be afraid to take that extra couple of seconds to get sure. Because one of the biggest ways that people make mistakes is that they say, oh, let's just hurry up and get it over with. Right. And it's not, well, we've all been there. And it's, yeah, and it's what, you know, <laughs> Hall of Fame Lee Trevino, you know, said, he goes, you just want to miss them quick. All right. You just want to miss them and get the hell out of the way. So yeah. the point of it is, you know, if we just if we just actually just took the time to make each shot as purposeful and as good as we possibly can, we'd play a lot better. But the point of it is, and this is really for, you know, Jason, for everyone to understand, is that everyone's going to have negative thoughts. I mean, they're just pervasive. They're all around us. And what most people don't really tell us as we're growing up is that negative thoughts are 10 times more powerful than the good ones. And that's why every time you miss a shot, you've got to be able to say, all right, hey, you know, we can get over that. It might take seven, eight attaboys, girls to get, you know, through that. But you've got to get yourself to that point where you're saying, okay, I'm not going to let that one shot interfere with my rest of my game the rest of the day. For Jason, just having a couple of those different clearing mechanisms where he can actually say, okay, I'm here in the present moment. I've, you know, dismissed, you know, that negative thought. Now here's what I want to do. And as most of us who are wearing sort of this Nike swoosh, and I helped, you know, create these Nike junior schools 30 years ago all over the country. One of the things we always talked about was their slogan. You know, the three words, just do it. The key phrase is to do. This is what we're going to do. Because most people wear the Nike swoosh, but if they had, you know, adult mentality, it would be a swoosh with a great big question mark inside of it. Okay. Boy, boy, don't, I don't want this to happen. And that's the way most people play golf. They have a big question mark, you know, on their chest. And we want to, you know, replace that with an exclamation point. So I, I hope, you know, that answers Jason's question and yours as well, Matt. Yeah. No, it's great. I love that. It's everybody knows what they want to do, but they don't very often specify it. They don't get clear on it. We all know what we don't want to do. But it's very rare that we get very clear on what we want. And that's not just in golf. That's in life in general. So I love that. That's so good. Well, I want to, I want to just kind of you know, add on to that, because that's a really good point. Obviously, you're in California, in, in L.A., correct? Yep. Okay. So you get in your car and you want to head north and you want to get to Northern California, which is Eureka, California, correct? So Eureka, California is very north. Or let's just say we want to go to Seattle, Washington. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't get in our car and say, man, I hope I don't end up in Tijuana, Mexico. Okay. We we <laughs> want to we want to go north. We don't want to go south. But it's amazing. So many, you know, golfers go out with a mindset on the round, on the day, or a shot. And instead of saying, this is what I want to do, this is where I want to go, this is how I want to play. They always start off with, man, I hope this doesn't happen again today. Boy, I I hope I don't end up in a bad place today. And they're already setting themselves up for failure. So that's one of the first things we can do. We can be very clear about what it is we want to do and be very decisive because making good decisions creates golfing confidence. Let me say this before we move on to Kyle. I want to really hit this home because I can hear our listeners in my ear. That doesn't mean it's going to feel good, or that doesn't mean you're going to be totally comfortable, or that doesn't mean you're going to feel fully confident, especially if you've had all of these rounds and years of trying to prevent those bad things from happening. You're still probably going to feel it. The point I think Doc's saying is having a vocalizing and being very clear on what you're trying to do that day will eventually become more and more comfortable, which will lead to confidence. But at the start, it might not feel that way, but you have to keep pushing through with the right process. Is that fair? No, I think it's you know quite accurate. Yes. All right, guys, stay seated. Keep those seatbelts fast and the train's going to make a quick stop and then we'll get you right back on track. If you guys are listening to this on the day or two after it comes out, 
you're in luck. One of my favorite partners, Red Rooster Golf, the number one golf glove as rated by my golf spy, is having the biggest sale they've ever had. Okay? So the way they're doing it, it's actually pretty fun. It's all about bundling and you never know what you're going to get. So sometimes you'll go to redroostergolf.com and they might be running certain flash sales on certain products on certain days. In other ways, there's ways to bundle to save more. So let me explain to you how it works. So if you go to redroostergolf.com, you can pair any glove with any accessory and save 20%. A glove and two accessories like a towel, ball marker, hat, etc., 30%. And a glove with three accessories is 40% off. Now, if you're listening to this after the fact, or you just want a great glove at 20% off, you can enter the code TRAIN and get yourself 20% off anything. I'm giving you a bunch of different options. Remember, these guys are one of the fastest growing companies in golf. They've only been around for a year, and they're already rated ahead of the likes of a FootJoy, Callaway, etc. And trust me, I work with these guys regularly. I know that they are making sure every glove is hand-stitched with the most possible attention and craftsmanship possible. I love my Red Rooster gloves so much. I'd highly recommend the Range glove. It's stretchy. It lasts forever. It doesn't wear down your current gloves as well as the Rain glove as we're getting into winter. It's always good to have a good Rain glove in the bag as well as their classic gloves. It just depends on what color you like. So redroostergolf.com. Again, bundle for more savings. Two accessories with a glove gets you 30. Three accessories with a glove gets you 40. Or enter the code TRAIN for 20% off. All right, guys, let's get this train back on track. All right, I've got Kyle. We've got three more. I think we're on track. Okay, here's Kyle. Evan, Serm, really love the positivity and the success that we see on the par train, especially seeing high handicaps become single-digit handicaps. That leads to my question, with high single handicaps, what mindset changes do they need that are similar and different from when they were mid-teen to low 20 handicaps to get to one or zero or two handicap? That's kind of where I'm at. I'm at a nine, 9.9, and want to get down to a one or a two, playing the club championship competitively, not just for fun. What mindset changes need to happen and how much of that's practice and how much of that's mental? That's my question. Thank you, Kyle. I think a question a lot of people want to know. I'll kick it to you, Doc. Well, that's a great question, Kyle. And here is my answer. It's really not just a different mindset. It's a very purposeful mindset. But you talked about, is it mental? Is it practice? Yes. And it's, you know, falling in love if you want to get down from a 9.9 to a one or a two, it's very simple. I mean, you've got to fall in love, absolutely fall in love with the idea of about 40 yards and in, and just falling in love with the short game. People always ask, what's the difference between a top college player and a young tour player, or even getting to be an elite tour player? And it is their ability to recover, but it's also their ability to take an awkward situation or even a straightforward situation and make the most of it. You're going to miss a lot of greens. Okay. And, you know, the better you get, say, even, you know, the top professionals only hit maybe 12, 13 out of 18 greens in regulation. That means they've got to get it up five or six times. And it's not even just getting it up and down. Sometimes it's getting it up and in and holding a bunker shot, you know, holding a shot, you know, from the side of the green. So one of the things I would do, Kyle, and I'm going to give you something very specific that I do with all of my students, you know, no matter you know what their age, their handicap, you know, their level, it is you need to go about 10 steps out from the green and you need to take a ball and drop it and you need to drop it 10 steps all around the green, one ball. So you have 10 balls around the green. Now your task is to get, you know, the ball up and in and up and down. So from all these different positions, you're going to be sort of working and practicing your short game competence. The competence is the right word. It's mastering, you know, those little shots, those little stinker shots where the ball sits down, you know, in the grass. There's maybe half sitting up, half sitting down. And what happens, you know, if you want to become, you know, a club champion or you want to become a really solid, you know, single digit player, 
you are very comfortable and composed in those situations, getting that ball up and down. I mean, for years, Dave Peltz and you know David Ledbetter, who I've been associated with for the last 23 years, I mean, we have actually just been banging the drums of you got to fall in love with your putter. You got to fall in love with your short game. But for me, it's not, you know, missing green 70, 80, 90 yards out. It's just missing the greens, just a few steps off of the green where you get in some little awkward lies that, that you become very comfortable getting that ball up and down. And so what you're saying to yourself consciously and subconsciously is four words. I can handle this meaning I can handle this moment, I can handle this situation. Because you've developed the movement competence and you have the movement confidence, the ability to say, I can handle this situation nicely, to step in and hit that shot. Now, by doing this drill all around the green, you're going to see a lot of different shots. You're going to have to hit you know, high shots, driving wedge shots, maybe flop shots. But also at the same time, you have to go up and putt the ball in. Now, so say you have 10 different stations around this green, par is two at every one of these different stations. So, you know, what happens, people start having eight footers, you know, to knock it in for par, their par two, or they have 10 footers, or they have three footers. So you're really not, not practicing your wedge game and your short game. You're also practicing the opportunity putts, the putts that you feel that you should make. And once you get really comfortable doing this drill, and I'm giving you a, something very specific, rather something more philosophical. But when you do this specifically, it's amazing when you take this, because this is something that transfers directly to the golf course. Everybody wants to talk about trust, confidence, and all of this. But in order to create that, you have to create movement competence. You have to have this mastery of not only the physical skill, but also the psychological mindset that says, I've been here before, I've practiced this, I've got this, it's ingrained, I feel comfortable with it. And as Evan was talking earlier you know, to another you know, student, you have to become very comfortable being uncomfortable. And if you find any one of these situations you know, that I just don't like this shot, that's the shot you need to work on the most. So the shots that you fear, we need to move through the fear overcome that fear and make that fearful shot a go-to shot. And, and that's, you know, really the secret to you becoming a really low single, you know, digit handicap, you know, continue to working on all the good things you're working on in your game, but, you know, work, you know, on that 40 yards and in, and especially right up around the green, that is how you get it. And you develop it through diligence, hard work, and time. It just doesn't, you know, fall out of the sky on you. It doesn't, if, if it did, everybody would be looking up the sky, looking for that. Okay. So that's, that's how you develop it. I just want to echo a couple of quick things. Cause Ev, you're about to say it's the year of the short game on the par train, <laughs> but I think the way you talk about doing drills and you got to chip from bad lies. Our coach used to tell my brothers and I, all right, we're dropping balls, right? And you're going to have to figure it out. Then you're going to have to get up and in. And those pressure putts, like you said, from seven, eight, nine feet, which is what happens on the course, making those putts really helps when you get to the course. And then to take it a step further, do contests with your friends or your brothers or whoever's around you, because then the heat is on in practice. Doc, I just have to share that part too, that, that is really important. Well, you know, Matt, what you're really saying is what I've always said. It's simulation training. Right. We are actually taking this practice time, and it really isn't practice. It's in a real simulated uh, situation that transfers directly to the golf course. You could sit there with a whole bunch of balls, 50 balls from one you know, position, and get really good at doing the same thing over and over. But what you're talking about and what your coach had you do he had you doing what we call variability of practice. And there is something in the motor learning world called contextual interference. You know, a lot of us want to, you know, put that ball up and want to jack it up like almost on a green tee. All right. But you've got to have that ball sitting down in some goose grass. You've got to have that ball sitting down in some alfalfa. And that's really where your ball it's usually true. ends up. Right. Yeah. And so if you don't really, if you don't really end up, you know, really practicing out of that stuff, getting comfortable out of it, then when you get into a real situation on the golf course, you're saying, oh my goodness gracious, 
what am I going to do now? And that's what creates the anxiety. That's what creates the stress. And that's what creates a series of bad shots. So Matt, you're exactly right. You know, so I, I echo your, your input there for sure. Let me pose one final question regarding Kyle's question. It kind of reminds me of what Connor talked about from going, you know, as a 17 and shooting as low as an 84, clearly Connor wants to break 80. He's been close, right? But we talked about how the power of score can create this feeling of I'm quote all over the place. Can't the same thing happen with handicaps and labeling where if Kyle feels like I'm not good enough until I get to, he even said, I want to take it seriously, not just play for fun. Sometimes that can get in our way too, where suddenly, you know, Kyle might've gone from a nine to a six and actually making really great progress. But because he's not a two yet, it feels like he's not there yet. And there, there can come the frustration. There can come the forcing it versus working on all the stuff you're saying and seeing how far I can get him. We all want to become scratch, but putting that number on a pedestal that can also get in our way a little bit. What do you think about that, Doc? Well, I think it's the same thing. We always talk about comfort zones all the time. Uh, you know, we're talking about, oh, well, now I, I'm right here. I'm feeling really good. I'm really close within my handicap index. And I'm always going to go back to the Satchel Page quote I said about a year ago when I was first on your program. And he said, when he was asked how old he was, because he was an old man when he first you know, signed his first major league baseball contract, he said, how old would you be if you didn't know how old you was? And I've always turned this around to say, well, how good would you be if you didn't know how good you was? If you didn't know how good you were, how good would you allow yourself to be? And that's the whole point. People have yeah. sort of this vanity handicap it's or this ceiling. Per performance handicap, or this is, you know, this is where I need to be. And even to go up on the tee, on the first tee, and then say hello to people to say, hey, how are you? I'm good. You know, I've never played with you before. I'm a five. And this other person say, well, I'm an eight. You know, that's really sort of, you know, their self-image is reflected by their handicap. And I'm sitting here going, well, quit, you know, relegating yourself to an image of score or labeling yourself as a four or as a 10. Let's just go out and just be two guys or two girls going out to play and let's just see what happens and let's see yeah. how low we can go is what I call a concept called limbo golf. How low will you allow yourself to go? And if you have a, a no limits mindset, it's amazing, you know, how low you can go. So, yeah, I think, you know, for Connor and Kyle and almost everybody listening, that's really what I would say. Let's let's find out how how low we can go. Let's quit. Let's quit, you know putting so much focus on score. I've always said that scorecard is really nothing more than just paper mental handcuffs. Okay. Mm. Because it holds people down. Doc, I just wanted to throw one more thing on your short game talk is for Kyle. I've noticed best players in the world, whatever level, they get excited to hit short game shots. Now they can be excited to hit them because they put in the work. Like you talked about, they put in the real work and they have short-term memories on that four iron shot. And I think that's really powerful because, you know, when you can get, all right, I made the wrong decision. I made the bad swing, but Hey, I've got this little, you know, little flop or a little pitch and run over the bunker. I can do this. This is fun. You know, I could maybe make this again. You, you have to have all the right strategy, but that's different. With it's excited for the opportunity. Yeah. Well, I think that's the whole point, you know, where your confidence is created by your competence and that's where you know when you have a strong short game i happen to you know feel that it frees you up because a lot of times people who don't have a good short game or you know who put a lot of pressure on themselves on the approach shots and go wow you know i've got to hit this green so how many times have we played a great round i mean just i'm just throwing this out there it's sort of a hypothetical situation but we go out and we hit 16 greens and regulation and we're made a couple of putts for birdies you know we're two putting mostly but then we miss our first green on the 17th hole and we're sitting there going oh my we have this golfer's gasp okay we're sitting here i miss. oh i don't know and so now i've got to got to get this ball up and down and we're not familiar with it and i have seen more great rounds unbelievable rounds started when a golfer misses the green first couple of greens early in the round they get the ball up and down and it almost sort of 
you know, settles, you know, the wagon, they go, hey, all right, I, I face that, you know, bring it on. And that allows them to be free for the rest of the day. So, you know, by having a great, you know, short game, I think that's really what Matt, you know, is attesting to, it sort of frees you up every place yeah. else. And, and that, that juiciness, you know, I just can't wait, you know, to get there to the green because I have a chance to chip this in. Or I have a chance to get this up and down. And they're not really being anxiety driven or they don't have the doubt. They have something that I call certitude, which is really closely linked to confidence. I know I can do this. I've done it before. I'm comfortable with it. And that's really what, you know, Kyle and all these people need to understand. You know, let's get comfortable, you know, by you know, seeing how good we can be. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then I'll get you right back to the show. Guys, in case you didn't know, I don't talk about it that often. I do mental coaching in addition to the podcast. And I've had golfers from scratch all the way to 12s and above. And if you want to take your mental game from listening to this show to the next level, get one-on-one help. We'll put you on a plan, especially if you use mental golf type. I'm a certified coach with mental golf type. We can take your game to the next level. Go to thepartrain.com slash golf mental coaching or just email us at thepartrain at gmail.com. Give us a shout. We can have an introductory chat and figure out what you need to work on to get your game to the next level. Get off that struggle bus and get back on track. So thepartrain.com slash golf mental coaching. Give us a shout. Let's get your game to the next level. All right, let's get back to the show. Let's go quickly to Matt from Scottsdale. My question for you is, next week I play a course that it, when I played last, I played the worst round I've ever played. Now going into playing it again, it's all I keep thinking about. I know exactly what holes I had blow-ups on. What's something that I should be focusing on going into this course next time? Another thing we've probably all experienced. Doc? Well, I tell you what, you know, for Matt is, you know, I'm not sure if he likes leftovers. Okay. But that's exactly, you know, really what you're eating, Matt, you're eating, you know, leftover (laughs) golf. All right. And, you know, yesterday's round, last week's round, the round you played, I mean, that's Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, it's history. It's a done deal. Let's learn from it. Let's, you know, I always talk about people going into tournaments. They become, you know, learnaments. All right. Learn something from this. Learn from that experience. Kind of plan your strategy and say, you know, I didn't play all that well. You know, the last time I played this golf course, I'm going to have a different strategy going in. I'm going to do some things differently. But this is a new experience, you know, and I'm not going to actually go back and bring my leftover garbage Okay. I mean, it's like, you know, I've eaten, you know, this meal like a week ago and I've got some of those pieces from that meal and I'm going to come back and I'm going to put in front of me and I'm going to eat it again. Well, no, you don't want to do that. You want a fresh meal. You want to order fresh. Okay. Uh, And that's the analogy I use because so many people bring their garbage from the past and they bring it right into the present moment. So, you know, for Matt, I would say, Hey, let's start fresh, you know, this is a whole new day. It doesn't have to be, you know, a replay of what happened. This is new. And, and a lot of people say, well, yeah, that's easy to talk about, tougher to do. Yes, I realize that because there's sort of a little emotional scar residue there. But when you go into this new round, you are familiar with the course. You know what you need to do. Create a strategy that allows you to be as productive as efficient and effective as you can possibly be. That now is the beauty of now going into this round. Instead of thinking, oh gosh, you know, I hope I don't do what I did last time. You know, start, you know, relishing the moment to say, I can't wait to go out and create a great memory this time on this golf course. So, you know, it's like my trademark, you know, saying, change your mind, change your game. The moment you change your mind about the things you think about, the things you think about start to change as well. So that's really what I would tell Matt. Wasn't it interesting, Doc, how so many times we focus on the what, meaning the high score, the ball OB, the embarrassment, but we don't really get to the why. Like, why did we make that blow up on hole eight that last time I played that course? Maybe I wasn't committed. Maybe I was too focused on where not to hit it. Maybe I was still thinking about the last three holes, right? Those are like very tangible things to your point about a new strategy 
that you can commit to in that next round that can totally change your experience. And the last thing I'll say that I want to echo you, Doc, is I've experienced it's really easy to almost demonize a property. And of course, if you've had really bad experiences there, some courses don't fit our eyes like others, but a lot of times, you know, there just might be a course that we don't play well at. I've tried just noticing the beauty and I know it sounds cliche and silly, but it's kind of been a tool that I've used to take myself out of the pain and my leftovers and see the course in an entirely new way. So notice a tree I didn't notice. Notice the water, notice the grass, notice the undulation and almost marvel at it as almost like a mindfulness hack to get myself more calm and present than avoidant and focus on what I don't want to do again. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I just read something here and I'll share with you and Matt. And it said, a wise man once said, if you're living with anger, okay, you're probably living in the past, all right? If you're living your life, you know, with fear and doubt, you're probably, you know, you know, living your life in the future. But if you're living your life, you know, with peace and harmony, you're probably existing in the present. And that's where, you know, good things always begin. And so I, was, I always take that and say, well, what if a wise golfer said, hey, you know, if you're always playing angry, you're probably, you know, playing in the past. If you're playing with a lot of doubt, you're playing with a lot of what ifs, you're probably not in the present, you're probably in the future. But if you are really in a good state of mind, you're probably in the present moment. And, and that's really where great that's golf great. really begins and ends. And, and to your point there, Evan, it's so true what you say. We have to have, you know, post round analysis to say, what did I do well? What didn't I do well? And why did it, you know, go so wrong? But that's the problem because most golfers don't, you know, ask that core question. They're always, you know, going to look at the, look at their round like this. What if, what if I go back there and I have another bad round? What if this could happen? What if that happens? Always the what ifs. And I'm always trying to get people to look at what is, what's it, what is going on now? What are you going to do now? And if you can own the now and be in that moment, you know, and process energy in that moment, that's when you're, you know, golfing in the present. So I think, you know, really what you're talking about, you know, will really help Matt and everybody. Love it. All right. Really good. Last one. We've got Sean. Hey guys, thank you for answering my question. How would you recommend kind of preparing my mindset for tournament golf? When I play on the weekends, I feel like I'm doing a really good job of taking one shot at a time, not thinking too far ahead, and also not worrying about the result. Unfortunately, when I get to some of the tournaments, whether it's a qualifier or a member guest, a lot of times I know approximately what the, the cut will be. So if it's one over, two over, when I do get, you know, make a few bogeys, I do sometimes think too far ahead and it's definitely affecting my my tournament golf. So how would you recommend that and some of the um, the ways that I can improve moving forward? Thank you so much. Kind of goes with the what ifs versus what is, right, Doc? Yeah, absolutely. Sean, here's really what we need to get you to do. We need to have you stop your futuristic thinking. You're already, you know, thinking about, you know, what the cut line is going to be, what I need to shoot. And this is the problem, having expectations, all right? Because when our results don't match or equal our expectations, we have, you know, frustration, we have anger, we have disappointment, we have an expectation gap. And so the first thing I really want to, you know, tell you, Sean, is that what most golfers fail to realize when they go into tournaments is that the best players in the world learned at a very early age that it's just golf see we start you know putting everything on a pedestal we start you know looking around we start stargazing we start thinking about the club championship and about you know the name players and and we we look all around and we forget to do the one thing that we've been practicing and preparing for and that is just playing golf playing our game being in the moment 
So when we go into tournaments, I've had, you know, several of my students go, well, Dr. Winters, I'm getting ready to play another tourniquet, another tourniquet. They say tourniquet. I go, yeah, I'm about ready to go out and hang myself. And that's why they're putting so much pressure. And so I'm just trying to make golf what it is. It's a game of you moving your ball from point A to point B to point C in the most efficient, effective, and economical manner possible. End of story. That's your job. That's your task as a tournament golfer. It isn't, you know, to beat, you know, the other players. It isn't, you know, to look forward and actually shoot some type of target score. It's to play your game each moment as it comes, just like stringing pearls, one after one after one. And I'm going to give you a little story of what I've been telling all these different college teams. And I said, I don't know, Sean, if you're a dog person or a cat lover, but, you know, recreational golf. And, you know, non-competitive golf is like having a puppy. It's like having a dog. You go, come here. Come here, boy. Come here. You know, the dog comes to you and starts wagging its tail. And it's all fun and games. We're playing great. We're having great practice rounds. Everything's easy. I've got it going now. Woohoo! Tournament golf, on the other hand, is like having a cat. And cats are contrary. And so you say, come here. Come on. Come here, girl. Come here. You damn cat, come here. And all of a sudden the cat runs away from you, all right? So you start chasing the cat and you start chasing your tail. You start thinking about score. You start thinking about results. You start going all over the place. And the cat, you know, runs away from you and the score is blown. And so people say, well, now what's that story got to do with golf? If you want to play great tournament golf, here's what you need to do. You got to be smart and you got to outsmart the cat, which is the game of golf. You've got to sit there. You've got to stay patient. You've got to play your game and you just got to play golf and you ignore the cat. You ignore wanting to score well. And it's really funny when people, you know, come to my house and we have a cat and the cat almost always knows that you don't want to be bothered. So what does the cat do? The cat comes to you. And that's really what, you know, competitive golf is. If you stay in your own lane, if you do your thing, play your game one shot at a time, let everything else go, the cat or the good score or the good results, they come to you. So that's the difference between dogs and cats. And that's the difference between practice round, recreational rounds and tournament rounds. So we've got to make, you know, golf, golf, whether it's a practice round, non-competitive round or a competitive round, it's all the same. You know, to me, it's, it's like having, you know, ice cream. If you practice chocolate, then play chocolate. But most golfers go out, they practice chocolate, and then when they get you know, to the tournament, oh my God, it's Rocky Road. Ooh, you know, there's a lot of chunks in that ice cream, okay? <laughs> so, so for me, I mean, those, those analogies work for me. I mean, I understand where they are, but boy, I was talking at you know, the academy, the Ledbetter Golf Academy that I've been with now for 23 years, and I was listening to a couple of my senior instructors and I was telling my junior students there this story about the dogs and cats and one of my you know main instructors Sean Hogan came up to me and he's worked with all the best in the world he said that was absolutely the best analogy about recreational golf and tournament golf it's so true everybody wants to start chasing that damn cat you know chasing <laughs> it around and they go around 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 the tail and the moment you actually let go of wanting to chase the cat, chase the score, chase the results, and just play golf, the good golf starts to show up. So uh, I'm just glad I had a chance to share that, you know, with Sean. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm not a cat fan at all. I'm a dog guy. <laughs> I really like how you put this. But just a quick kind of story. I know we're getting your time, but for Sean and the doc, get your final thoughts. And I know Evan might jump in, but I've played a lot of qualifiers in my life. Growing up as a junior player, high school player, college player, I've kind of seen it all. And what I realized through my experience in it, and I was pretty good at qualifying, is that par is a really, really good score. It usually gets it done in qualifiers. Not always, but a lot of the time. Sean was talking about knowing that one over or two over is going to get it. And so he's, he's, Sean's a good player. And I, if you make a bogey, a couple bogeys early, it's easy to press. And it's easy not to respect. As my dad would say, you got to always respect old man par. And I was playing yesterday. And we're playing a money game. We're playing Wolf and I'm on the 16th hole and it's a tucked right hole location. The wind's coming out of the right, 150 yards. 
And I think it's a bright idea at the last minute. You know what? I need to go for this pin. When all day I've been hitting it, you know, that's a hold off cut shot to the center of the green because if I hit it good on 15 feet, if I push it, I'm next to the hole. And if I pull it, I'm 40 feet. But if I decide to aim at the pin, what happens? Well, what happened was I pushed it a little bit and hit the tree and it was short right of the green in front of the bunker. And I just was getting in my mind that that what I thought was my best way to make birdie. But it was not. It was not. I was I was trying to show a shortcut to birdie instead of respecting par middle of the green. Chances are I'm going to have a chance for birdie. So I wanted to share that, doctor, because it happened yesterday. And I was just like, man, what are you doing? You're real disciplined a lot of the round. And then all of a sudden, because you, you know, money's on the line, you think you've got a, a better route to birdie when really I brought bogey in. Luckily, I got up and down, but that's not the point. <laughs> well, you know, so much, you know, of golf is about risk and reward. All right. And sometimes you have to flex that athletic risk muscle. Okay. But you should only flex that risk muscle if you understand the 80% rule that I created. 80% of the time, when you actually risk, you're saying to yourself, four out of five times, okay, this will pay off. And if it doesn't pay off, then you ought to say, you know what? I'm going to take you know a shot that's a higher percentage and one that I know, absolutely, positively know, guaranteed will come off well. So that's the whole point about risk-reward. And that's why I see so many great players who can reach these par fives in two end up making six and seven. I'm going, how in the world did you make a seven on this par five? Well, you know, I, I forced it and went for the green. I, you know, yanked it left into the water. Or I pushed, you know, my second ball over the green out of bounds. And I'm sitting there going, it wasn't necessary. I mean, a green in regulation on a par five is still three. And so, I mean, the point of, you know, of golf is we've got to be smart. We've got to be smart, aggressive. And the smart golfer, will always, always outperform in the long run, the powerful or flashy player. I mean, I've seen that now through 50 years, you know, playing golf at every level and coaching the best of the best and, you know, the most emotionally challenged golfers in the world. If you can play smart golf, you know, one shot at a time, you will beat, you know, any of the power players that you're playing with because smart golf is great golf in the long run. Let me say one final thing before we sign off the train here. We heard this this past week, actually. Someone, this was a mental coach as well, and someone told them a story about Tiger, where someone asked Tiger, hey, Tiger, how come every time the pressure's on and you got to putt to win or to move on or to make the cut or to win the match, how do you make those so often? How do you make so many over and over? And he said something very similar to something you said, which was, well, I... I have my process, so he he sees his picture. He doesn't go until he sees his picture, which Jack Nicholas has talked about as well. And then he says, and then I just see what happens. And I think let's just see what happens is a really great diffuser. It's a really great disarming tool, and it's very freeing and also exciting if you embrace it. Some people want to control, but if you just do the stuff you know you want that you need to do that's best for you, for your lane, for your game, and then you just see what happens, a lot of times you're going to perform better than trying to make something happen. That goes with, with Matt's example. That goes with Connor's question, Jason, Kyle, Matt, and Sean today. Well, I want to add something to that. You know, Evan, just what you're saying is absolutely true because Jack Nicholas has had 18 majors. And what, 29 runner-ups, third-place finishes? I mean, it's insane. And Tigers had 15 majors. Both of these fellows learned a long time. When they went into major championships, they always said, when I go into this golf championship, it's not just for a major. I still have to play golf. These two figured it out. They actually took off you know, this trophy on the pedestal, and they made it golf. They made it about golf. Versus, ooh, it's, you know, a major. Oh, it's the U.S. Open. Oh, it's the Masters. They just played golf to beat the course. That was their focus. And if you want to know the secret, you know, to playing, you know, for everyone is, you know, forget all about, you know, the glam, all about the stars, all about the trophies, and all about the personal awards. Just beat the course, play your game one shot at a time, 
And you can have, you know, a great mindset like Jack and Tiger, because you're doing the same thing they did. They allowed themselves the freedom to play golf. Allowed themselves the freedom. Yeah, it's good. And that can actually inspire a lot of confidence, knowing that you're thinking a way that a lot of other people you're playing with aren't. They're focused on the trophy, the the score, the handicaps, everything else. So that can actually inspire some confidence. Well, you've you've created an edge for yourself. Yeah. And that, you know, because I've always said that 99% of all golfers are playing the wrong game. And they're, you know, like the cat chasing their tail. All right. Yes. You know, and they're, <laughs> yeah. they're always chasing their tail. So, you know, and I've always thought this is that if you think about, you know, the happiest cats, the happiest cats are one that are actually walking down their trail. And the happiness tail is always following them. So wherever they go, you know, happiness, you know, follows them. So that's sort of, you know, a great way to probably finish today. Love it. Well, Doc, thank you again for hopping aboard your third time. Go follow Doc at Winters on Instagram, drbobwinters.com. Anywhere else you want to send people or anything else you want to say to finish? Yeah, the confidencedoctor.com, you know, and I have, you know, my new putting video series there, 10 Mental Keys to Great Putting. You know, it's a wonderful video series and uh, we keep it very short and sweet and hard to beat and people love it and they're actually, you know, putting great with it. So Matt, Evan, I'll tell you what, it's really an honor to be here on the par train. You guys always make me treat, you know, feel like a VIP. So all aboard and uh, I hope we get to do it again really soon. Yeah, it was Let's a pleasure. It. Some great nuggets for our listeners yeah. today. Thanks, Thank Bob. You. All right, great you guys have you. a great day.